Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Software Crafts Podcast. My name is João and today with us we have Heinar Host. Heinar is a software developer at NRK, the Norwegian Public Broadcaster. He enjoys domain modeling, API design and computer programming. He thinks that programs should be written for people to read and also for machines to laugh at. Welcome and thanks for your time to be with us. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. So, the heuristic for today, it's a, a linting one, but let's start with that. And it is the following. It is easier to keep a system working than to fix it after you break it. What are your experiences on that field? Well, it's uh, it's interesting. I I uh with a heuristic like that i'm always sort of uh, interested in the context for where it comes from or or sort of the the intention behind it uh so it's um immediately i'm i'm thinking uh, along the lines of what does it mean to break it and what does it mean to keep it running um and what does it mean to fix it so uh, i think uh when we talk about uh keeping stuff running i think what we usually mean is that if you sort of break it as you sort of will do if you're changing it in some way, uh, then it's a very short and predictable way back to having, having it working again. So it's, it's, uh, I guess it's about, uh, the length of the feedback cycle. Um, whereas, um, if you, hmm, to interpret, uh, sort of what you mean by to break it is more like the lines, uh, that you, it stops working and you have no predictable way of getting it working again, right? Uh, you can't really uh, cap the time of how, uh, of when you will have it running again. So that's, that's sort of my interpretation of it anyway. Uh, so for me, it's, it's, uh, I immediately think of, of feedback cycles. And I think, uh, I think that's a lesson that we've sort of in the industry learned on many accounts. That's, uh, that that's tends to be true, right? So it's, it's easier if you have short feedback cycles to, to guide you and to, to sort of keep working on something uh, that you have under control. So it's, uh, I think uh, I also thought about sort of a similar quote that's, uh, I think this quote was uh, originally um, come from the sort of context of test-driven development. Uh, that's how I understand it anyway. But I think it also sort of applies more widely to system working with systems in general. There's another quote by uh, John Gall from Systemantics that goes something like uh, that a complex system that works uh, has been found to have evolved from a simpler system that also worked, right? So uh, sort of trying to design a complex system uh, up front never works and you can't really patch it to have it work, right? So you have to start over again with with a working simpler system. So that's, I think that expresses some of the same ideas. Uh, so I, I think we see that uh, at various levels, basically, in uh, software development. It's very interesting. And, and I love how you, your approach for this initial question, right? Because the, the heuristic is very open and open for interpretation, right? And I really like that you went first, okay, this can mean A or B, and if we take this assumption, we go down this road. So uh, uh, what I call a senior developer mentality, right? Sometimes we need to work on, on, on assumptions. And 
what I want, so you talk about feedback cycles, right? For you, it's about the feedback cycles and keep them short. And I want to challenge you on this, based on this heuristic. Sometimes, depending on the perspective, I, as software developer, did the right thing, but uh, someone using uh, my, the system that I produce thinks that I broke something. What would you do to keep these feedback and these conversations alive and also in order to be productive rather than uh, uh, finger pointing exercises right so you have sort of a difference of opinion uh, if it's if the system is broken or not in some sense uh well uh um no i mean it's it's easy to think uh immediately like uh the, the customer is always right in some sense uh but um apart from sort of that as a sort of knee-jerk reaction um i guess um, um sort of the uh the perhaps more fruitful or ideal uh approach would be to uh, say that okay now we can have an interesting conversation right because there's something about this problem uh that we have a uh, different understanding of um so so there needs to be some sort of uh conversation or perhaps negotiation about what the problem really is and what 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 we're trying to accomplish with the system and of course that's going to be very very much dependent on the context or the concrete problem domain that you're working in right uh so uh but usually uh at least my uh initial impulse will be okay apparently there's something here that i don't understand about how you see the world right and that's I think that's interesting more than uh, going into, okay, let me tell you why your perception is wrong, right? Which is, which is, uh, I think, a natural human impulse, right? Because we have pride in the work we do, and and we think that we have an understanding of the way things work. And if only you could see the things my way, then everything would be fine, right? But I think that's that's probably not very fruitful, uh, and I think we probably do that too much, not just uh, in. Uh, and sort of the developer-customer relationship, but between different kinds of roles in the organizations that produce software as well. Definitely, definitely, and uh, I like the, the the your wording, right? Uh, negotiation, and I, I I do think, and this can be my bias, right? You are you are pointing to one of your first passions, domain modeling, where we need to negotiate the boundaries, and perhaps if I don't understand the problem, perhaps we need to negotiate and look to the boundaries again. Is that type of negotiation that you are pointing at, or my assumption is wrong and my bias? Well, no, I, I definitely, I, I think along those lines at least. Uh, so, I um, mostly work as a backend developer, so I have these negotiations not necessarily just with uh, end users, but also with uh, uh, front end developers or clients of the APIs that we produce, right? So, uh, and then again, if there is uh, there is a mismatch somehow, that's uh, uh, I'd like to interpret that, uh, and I think it would be good for us to interpret that as uh, a basis for a conversation that needs to happen, right? And then we can have, uh, as you say, um, we can talk about how how do we resolve that, right? So is, is it the boundaries that are uh, wrong, or is it that we have uh, an ambiguous contract or ambiguous understanding uh, or some situation that we where we need to disambiguate what we mean uh, in a concrete, con uh, concrete context, right? Uh, and um, 
I have had, uh, I think over the last year or so, maybe two years, uh, some good experiences working with uh, something concrete like uh, an open API contract uh, for as uh, not so much as documentation, which is like the backend developer saying, uh, this is how the thing works, but more like a, a, a document of the agreement that we've reached, right? So it's a... it's something that we can collaborate over and negotiate over. And then we sort of write down what we agreed upon. And that means we have sort of collective ownership of that contract. It's not something that uh, the backend developers dictate, but it's, uh, uh, it's something that we reach an agreement upon. Uh, and if it's lacking in some way, then we both have responsibility to improve that contract. And then there's another issue is like, do we meet that contract or something or, or not? And that's, that's, but that's sort of a, a lot healthier because then okay, that's a bug on our, our end if if we don't meet the contract, right? It's very interesting. It's very interesting these examples, right? How uh, the, the 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 your take here, right? Because also we create software to to solve complex problems. If we don't have software, it's a trivial problem, right? Mm-hmm. And my take and my summary is that you and your teams and your peers discuss behavior, the contract, right? The contract is to determine some boundaries of behavior. And this is very interesting because my question is, do you think that our community as as, as software engineers and software developers and, and people that produce software, do we focus enough on these conversations about contracts on behaviors or we still are looking to the nuts and bolts? We are using pattern A versus pattern B uh, more on technical side. What is your experience and taken experience uh, view on these right so i'm um i think and again this is just anecdotal this is just my experiences and how it looks from my end and uh not uh i don't have the illusion that that's sort of the objective truth in any way but um but my experience is that we focus way too little on these conversations unfortunately and i think it's I think we're much more about uh, what you might call technical issues or sort of uh, uh, focusing on perhaps uh, not so much these problems that we're trying to solve uh, from a business perspective, but more about like, okay, I'm going to need some to move some data from A to B or something like that, more than sort of uh, working on the understanding, why are we doing this? How can we do this in a... uh, in a better way. So I'm not very, I think we have, uh, I think the best, uh, the most positive spin I can, I can give on it is that we have a lot of room for improvement. Right. So I think, um, I think there is the opportunity to do uh, good work. If we, if we focus more on uh, these negotiations and, and uh, sharing, um, our understanding of the the business problem, uh, but I don't think, uh, from my experience at least, uh, that we do that well enough today. I think it's too much sort of trying to uh, solve technical issues and trying to treat this uh, uh, this problem as. Um, as a technical problem more than a sort of a, a human communication problem, right? Yeah, I think so. Indeed, indeed, it's a very interesting take. 
uh, I'm on your side as well, right? I do believe that uh, uh, the systems is to serve humans, right? So uh, yep. and, um, I, I, my attribution, and this is also from my experience, I had the privilege to go to college, but in college, we focus on computer science. This is how the stack evolved, and this is how the drivers of an operating system. And by the way, this is assembly. But, well, are we using this day-to-day, -day or it's about the conversation? Of course, we have a passion, and we like code, and we like this part. But what is the big meaning, right? And that is what I see even in the companies, bigger companies that have the, the, the programs for uh, new professionals, start to shape how do we maintain these conversations how do we handle negotiation how to, to avoid frustrations right because also we are proud on our work uh, and you have a fair amount of uh, white hairs uh, so you have your <laughs> our, your field stories how did you evolve from early in your career and how do you see now uh, after all of these years how you look back what were the, the those points in your career that the eureka moment, haha, now I know why these things don't work and change you as professional. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I think I, I'd like to uh, sort of, um, in a sense, it's an irony, right? Because I'm, I guess I, you can say I'm sort of a stereotypically introvert, uh, technically minded, like solves puzzles. Uh, so I, I fit that sort of bill for what you might see your stereotype for what a programmer might be right so you could say it's it's been a disappointment then like uh to see that it's evolving more and more into this understanding that really it's not so much about like being uh very technically adept or uh knowing all the best techniques or, or the one who knows the programming language the best the best is the best program something like that it's more about being able to uh, uh participate in and encourage to these conversations right so that's and i i'm not sure if i can say uh at what point i started sort of or i had this epiphany that okay this is the way it is but it's uh, I mean, my career started almost 20 years ago now, I think, uh, at least for like paid programming, uh, you can call it that. Uh, and I, re I recall sort of a being very much, uh, very enthusiastic uh, when I sort of learned about all these software engineering techniques when I first started out, right? So I, I wanted to be this, I wanted to be a good programmer and I wanted to sort of, uh, master all these techniques uh but i think um i think it was sort of a growing sensation that okay this is all very well and good that you know these techniques and stuff and you know you know you uh you know you you learn your programming techniques or your uh or uh, all these sort of like technical practices if you like uh, and those are good right you you want to know them uh but at the even though you master all of these things, you can sort of see that uh, those are not really the things that determine the outcome of your software project, because there are all these other things around uh, that, that have a profound influence on, on, on everything in your software system, like the organ how, how the organization works, right? Who, um, who sort of sets the 
tone or the atmosphere that the software project is is uh, uh, takes place in, right? So, and if you want to do something about that, well, I, I guess you need to uh, sort of you need to start with yourself, and then you need to sort of uh, perhaps if if you have an idea of how you want uh, software development to to unfold or happen, uh, then you sort of need to uh, try to grow that culture yourself, right? Starting with yourself and talking to people and sort of working on a narrative of, I think this is important in software development. We should, we should focus more on this, perhaps a little less on that. We should talk more about these, for instance, then this domain modeling concepts. What do you mean when you say this? And so you need to show, uh, sort of, uh, shift, the balance of what you're doing yourself into focusing more on these um on these sort of modeling issues or organizational issues and then try to sort of rally support for that in your co-workers or support or under or grow understanding if is perhaps a better way of of putting it right so uh, i think that was sort of gradual for me i i spent um seven years as a consultant somewhere sort of in the middle of my career. Uh, and that means you sort of meet uh, different organizations and uh, different developers, but to still see these, these same patterns, right? Uh, of how organizations think about software. And then you sort of, I think the reason I stopped being a consultant was that I wanted to work more long-term and sort of trying to contribute to growing this uh, understanding of uh, how software development should be done in a in a healthier way than it's often done when you have this um, uh, perhaps shorter term contracts or or and also this dynamic where um, where you're working mostly as a, uh, well as a consultant you're a visitor to another organization right so it's uh, it, it creates a different dynamic than when you're working uh within the organization at least that's that's been my experience yeah thanks for for sharing your personal story and journey and it's very interesting because uh in your first answer when i challenge you with heuristic you talk about the system and i i think that you were eating to a system not just as a technical system but as the system the organization and by extension the society or our community and then society and now you talk about culture and group dynamics this is very very interesting because i also do believe that this is not discussed enough i i, I have the feeling that now as community we start to discuss this and be more open and we maybe realize a software industry that we are not this unique uh, we are made by people and with people comes relationships and uh, all of this type of stuff right and it's been very interesting in last year start seeing for instance team topologies that build on top of devops so we have devops we bring people together well but what this means there are certain limitations because we as a humans create and bound and, and move on right so it's very interesting to see uh, and DDD, and then uh, how it evolves, and now how things go. And you talk about culture, so, uh, and you are located in the Nordics. Do you see the, 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 the cultures of the companies on our industry to start to evolve and, and, and get out of that uh, stereotype, oh, those, those programmers that are on the corner with you, they do this magical stuff, to be more a collaborative 
type of culture. Of course, you are in the Nordics, the, 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 the country itself has an influence on that. But what is your take uh, about this, the, the type of culture and stereotypes and things evolving? It's it's uh, it's a very interesting question. I think it's hard to answer because I'm uh, I I sort of find myself um, mostly uh, relating to uh, like the domain driven design uh, environment and following those people on Twitter, attending the same conferences as them. So <clears throat> there's a certain um, risk that what I see is sort of my echo chamber uh, where uh, looking from that point, it seems like there is a growing awareness, right? Uh, so it's, uh, I think uh, there is, I think there is a sort of a growing awareness. There has been a growing uh, environment for domain driven design uh, in Norway, at least. Uh, and uh, it seems that it's the same tendency uh in europe i don't know really about other parts of the world is mostly i've seen like the ddd europe crowd uh so from that perspective it looks like there's a growing um, um awareness of uh of sort of the what you could call the social technical perspective or, or all these ideas that sort of uh are uh explored by the ddd community uh but i'm not sure if that sort of I don't have any numbers that would indicate that it's uh, it's really evolving in that direction. It looks like that to me, but I'm not sure. I, I'm I'm hopeful, but I'm not certain. Well, we have a podcast, right? So uh, we can send some messages out there. And I really like that you talk about the echo chamber. So now a meta question. How can we break an echo chamber? How can we go outside of our bubbles and our communities and explore the world? And that, that's probably uh, difficult, um, but <clears throat> so one thing is that uh, you can sort of, I think you can take uh, think about it two ways, right? So the one thing is how do you get input from outside your echo chamber, and then the other and the other perspective is how can sort of how can I communicate outside my echo chamber, right? Yeah. Presumably, then into some other people's echo chambers, right? Because they have they have their sort of uh, communities that they belong to uh, where they have their beliefs. Right. So it's, it's not so, it's not so easy. And I think that's, and again, that's going to be uh, a negotiation uh, based on some, some form of mutual understanding. Right. Because I think it's, uh, it's easily going to be, uh, I think we can easily fail if we think we're going to sort of, um, if we have the perspective that we have all the answers uh, and now we're going to tell everyone else so that they can understand the world the same as we do, because it's, well, that's, that's probably just going to uh, make people sort of retreat even further into the echo chambers. Right. And I think, so, so it's a challenge, right? Because um, inside the echo chamber, I think it's, it's easily uh, the case that we get more sophisticated and we sort of evolve a, a more elaborate tribal language that you sort of need to master if you're going to be successful inside the echo chamber. And then if you have a very rich tribal language and then you try to talk to someone else, right, they are not going to understand you because they don't have the context to understand 
if I want to start sort of preaching to someone about bounded contexts and they don't really have uh, the background to understand what I mean by that, then that's it's going to be uh, a difficult conversation to understand, right? Uh, so we need to. Uh, I think there's a there's an old paper that I like. It's uh, I forget what it's called. It's by Licklider, which defines um, uh, communication as sort of the comparison of mental models, right? Uh, and you need some you need some minimal sharing of concepts and understanding of the world to, for, uh, to have sort of meaningful, meaningful conversation, right. Or, or com communication. So that's, uh, I don't want to say that we need to uh, create sort of simplified narratives, but I think we need to have, uh, narratives that are, um, that don't require a lot of sort of, intricate knowledge of a tribal language if we're going to sort of succeed in in spreading ideas from outside uh, to the outside outside our our echo chamber i guess definitely it's it's a, a very interesting take and i i i was with uh, uh jay bloom and um ben mozier the, the 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 trainings that they have and they have a very interesting one that is also very uh, influenced by the complexity by the Kinevin community that is the minimal coherent action, right? So mm -hmm. rather than trying to push my argument towards you, we try to find the minimal coherent ground. So from our tribal language, what is the overlap? Okay, we understand on this area, we recognize this, and then we try to move together because then our action is coherent inside and also outside which is a very interesting one because even if we are different tribes, we have different language, right? Because if we talk about with the colleagues about marketing or finance, they have different languages. But in the end, our organization exists for a purpose. In your case, you work on national broadcaster. It's about broadcasting, right? Of course, there are all of these. And I, I do believe when you talk about social technical systems, this is an important quality attribute that we need to be aware of. What is the minimal uh, coherent action that we can have? What is the common ground where we understand each other? Can I understand and agree on the borders? Negotiation again, can we move forward? So it's very, very interesting that you mentioned that uh, and a different person that talks about uh, uh, the mental models uh, and um, how we are perhaps crossing to other communities. And speaking about that, now getting to the technical and, and tribal as well. So you are doing API designs, right? And uh, the, our previous guest, uh, James Urquhart, uh, he wrote the, 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 the new book about the, 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 the flow architectures, so event-based and stream-based. How do you see these two fields? Are they coexisting one will replace the other um uh it's just different types of architectures to different to to go to different means uh what is your take on that uh th this type of different approaches just to go a bit now from system to technical uh sorry uh, can you sort of um 
repeat what you mean by uh, these two different approaches yes. so that I so, uh, answer the right question. Exactly. Okay, fine. So um, API design. So we think about uh, uh, request and response, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But on the other side, we can have uh, 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 what you call flow architecture that is event-driven right. and, 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 and streaming. So events going uh, to different queuing methods and messaging methods, right? So from an architectural and, and technical point of view, it's different implementations. And uh, my question is, do you see them coexisting? Do we see the industry as typical in software industry? Oh, there is something new, shift again. <laughs> or right. uh, what is your take there? Because we are also talking about tribes. Let's talk about our tribes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So um, I think um, I'm not going to... Uh pretend to be an expert on on flow-based architecture, uh, but I immediately think of coexistence um, in the sense that uh, I wouldn't say that we necessarily have an entirely flow-based architecture, uh, but we certainly have uh, message-based systems that sort of uh, underpin the APIs that we use, right? So it's so uh, uh, the way things work uh, at NRK TV is that we we have sort of a lot of upstream systems uh, that sort of deliver data about programs and about uh, streams and about uh, usage rights and everything that's sort of related to to serving TV content, uh, and we receive those as. Uh, various messages along various message queues, and then we sort of process them. And basically what we end up with that uh, the API service is mostly read models, right? So that's, uh, that, uh, that fuels uh, different sort of the narratives that, you know, I have an obsession with this word narrative, uh, but uh, sort of the, the operations or the user stories uh, on the end users end, right? So it's, uh, uh, so I guess we sort of pre-process these, read models um, uh, that support navigation in the in the end product so it's uh, i don't think it's like an uh, either or situation if that answers your question it it answers right that um i'm being provocative here right but uh, this is also what i like with the podcast taking these different takes and perspectives to offer to the world right Mm-hmm. I do believe, I generally do believe that um, as professionals in this industry, we should broadcast our opinions and perspectives and then have healthy conversations. So thanks yes. for that. You definitely answer. And now we are reaching towards the end of the episode. So the last and classic question for uh, the audience knows what is the question. So what are the resources that you recommend for people to, to, to keep uh, diving uh, in the topics that we discussed today. Right. So um, there are a couple of uh, books that have influenced me uh, sort of over the last years of how I think about software development. And it's not so much, again, it's not so much technical in a sense, and it's more about, uh, it's more about other things. There's this book called uh, Data and Reality. Uh, and I should remember what name of the author was, but now it sort of eludes me. Uh, but that has uh, that's all about uh, sort of um, how can you sort of represent 
reality in a computer system. And I think that's very interesting because um, I like to put it that um, reality has no interest in only being modeled, right? So our modeling is just our attempt to sort of grapple with the real world, right? Uh, and that means that things can change sort of underneath us uh, because we have some assumptions or whatever. So two things that used to be the same are no longer the same because one evolved one way and another evolved, evolved another way. And then sort of we have a problem in our computer system. So that's, that book is all about uh, those things. Um, and then there's another book that's not really about programming at all. Uh, it was, uh, I originally heard about it from Brian Marrick. It's called Seeing Like a State. Uh, and it's sort of the, it has to do a, with uh, uh, the different perspectives. Like, so if you, if you're a king in the old times, and then you sort of wanted to have insight into, uh, into your uh, domain or, or what your, what your country was up to, perhaps from, uh, from the perspective of, of taxing people or recruiting armies or whatever, then you wanted a certain kind of insight, right? And you wanted some sort of transparency into, into society. Whereas uh, from a sort of local perspective, from the people trying to live their lives uh, in that state, uh, that's a very different perspective. You just sort of want life to work for you, right? Uh, and I think that has some profound lessons for uh, architecture work uh, in, in software systems, right? So uh, I think the classical sort of, at least the old-fashioned uh, architecture perspective was that we need to sort of have um, an overarching architecture that makes the system easy to reason about from some, for someone who is looking at it from the outside, right? Uh, whereas from the perspective of solving tasks efficiently, it's more about, I think this is a growing understanding as well, that it's more about exploiting local differences and understanding that things are not necessarily uh, a solution that fits one place in our system doesn't necessarily automatically uh, turn into a good solution in another place of the system. And if we try to sort of conciliate that, we're sort of uh, by perhaps imposing some general principle, right? So it's uh, it's always going to be like this, uh, which lends a, a conceptual uh, unity. Uh, then we risk, I think, um, sort of... Um, uh, we risk imposing this uh, architectural unity at the cost of uh, something that's sort of suitable for the problem, right? So I think it's I think there's a growing awareness that we need to think more locally uh, with respect to architecture, and that that book, uh, Seeing Like a State, is all about that. So it's not about our, uh, really software at all. Software is never mentioned, but there is uh, more like um, uh, it's more like how. How do we do architecture? How do you construct a city that people can live in, for instance? Or, um, or how do we plan uh, the economy of a country, right? More, more those kind of issues. But it seems to me that uh, it has uh, a lot of lessons for someone thinking about architecture in software systems as well. So I think that's, that's the two books that have influenced me the most the last years, I think. Seeing Like a State and Data and Reality. Cool. Thanks for sharing and, and to give a brief description about those those books. Uh, I will make sure that they are on description. Mm -hmm. And with this, we 
end the episode. Once again, I want to thanks uh, thank you for uh, your time to be with us today. Thank you very much. It's been very interesting. Thanks. You can follow us on Twitter at Scrafts Podcast. Visit our website softwarecraftspodcast.com. Follow our page on LinkedIn. Hope to see you next week. Mm-hmm.